Good morning from me. My, uh, my name's Peter Sondergeld and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Um, this is my first time back for a little while. Um, and uh, God's been up to a lot of good things in the church. Uh, has anyone noticed? Yeah? Well, uh, you know what the line is that I'm using around the place at the moment? We're just getting started. All right? We're just getting started. Um, I, think, um, I think God's got us in a good place and um, I think what we're seeing is not necessarily big, flashy, supernatural things, but just really healthy fruit um, from, uh, from good things that are going on. Over time, most organisations develop a kind of language uh, by which they communicate. They have uh, terms and phrases that they use. They're not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, it's just a thing, really. It's just what happens. I remember uh, a school that I worked at before I... Uh, started working in the church, um, one of the lines I used to say is they used to say, I'm happy with that. And so everything was like, I'm happy with that. Yeah, yeah, happy with that. You know, and everyone was saying, yeah, happy with that. That, that, that was really good. Um, and, and it's the same in this church. We've got our own little phrases and words that we, uh, that we use to communicate things. Does anyone like to throw one at me uh, that you've noticed around the place? No, this is seriously, audience interaction. Anyone? Draw near, yeah, that, that, that's one, yeah. What else? Go well? What was that? Having a crack. Yeah, yep. So you guys are onto it, right? You see it. Um, another, another word that gets thrown around a bit is helpful, like that's helpful. Uh, everything's helpful in some way, you know, helpful. Uh, 100% gets thrown around a bit. Um, you know, you think about churches uh, and, and one of the things that happens in churches, not not just in the unique way that we've talked about with us, but churches actually pick up biblical phrases and words that they say. And, um, and, and they say these kind of over time. Uh, and, and one of the interesting things that happens when churches kind of pick biblical words or phrases is, is they sometimes lose their meaning in the sense that people don't really know what it means anymore, but they're using the word, right? Um, and, and I think um, it's, it's really important to, uh, to be clear about the things that you mean and, and understand what you, what you say. Um, some people have a, a very clear idea about what the terms and the phrases means, uh, mean and then other people, they just kind of go with the flow and they use it. And that's okay. Like, I just understand that that's how it works in an organisation. It's how it works in the church. So we're going to have a test today. All right. Once a teacher, always a teacher. Um, and uh, and it's, it's not really a test that you can fail, right? Um, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to put up on the screen some words that come from the Bible, and, and you have to turn to the person next to you, right? And it's okay if you're not down with the church and you haven't been much and you don't know what any of these are. You can, you can have the immunity necklace uh, for today, but if you've been here and you call yourself a restoration churcher, um, I would love it if you were sitting next to someone, if, if when I put these words up, both of you can actually say to each other what the word means. Now, there's a catch, right? You're only allowed one sentence, okay? It, no paragraphs, no half pages, one sentence, right? And this is, this is something I've been talking about 
a little bit around the place uh, at the moment, or recently I should say, is that if you really understand something and you've really got your head around it, you should be able to express the essence of it in one sentence. All right? Are you ready for this? So I'm just going to put these words up and then straight away you just have to turn to the person next to you and tell them one sentence about what you think it means. Is everyone down for this? It's a tough crowd this morning. All right. So, so you'll have literally 30 seconds to do both people. You ready? Go. Grace, quick, turn to the person next to you. One sentence. What does it mean? All right. That's probably enough. How'd you go? Let's do another one. You ready? Mercy. Okay. How'd you go? Here's mine for grace and mercy. Grace, getting something good that you don't deserve. Mercy, getting out of trouble. All right? That would, that would be ways that I'd cash out. You, and, and that doesn't mean that's the correct way, um, because I'm sure you'd have other ways of saying that. Let's keep going. All right, here's the next one. Gospel, go. All right, someone like to call out what their one sentence was for gospel. Someone, good news about what? About God's grace and mercy in Jesus. Well, that's pretty good, right? All right, here we go. Here's another one. Sin, go. All right, how'd you go? Someone want to call out their definition of sin or their one sentence? Rebellion against God, disobedience to God, all that sort of stuff. Remember, you've got one sentence. Ready? Here's the last one. And, and then there's kind of another one I'm going to throw into me. Ready? Here's, here's the last one in this bit. Predestination. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, well, look, I hope you both got a shot. Look, uh, some of these words, uh, to be honest with you, dropping the last one off, uh, are kind of like Christian times tables. You know, and, and I think if you can't define it in a sentence, that's okay. Um, sharpen up. Take the opportunity to, to find out what they mean so that you can say it in a sentence. Um, I'm, I'm just going to do one more, right? And this, is, this one's kind of serious, but I'm interested if you can nail this one in a sentence. And you can pick either one of these two versions of the word. Here we go. Glory or glorified. All right, 30 seconds. Tell the person next door. How'd you go? Uh, glory is a tricky concept. I don't know whether you found that one a little bit tough to actually articulate, but uh, glory is a, a tricky concept. And I want to give you what's a, a really helpful definition of glory because it's, it's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, glory is beauty, excellence, splendor, greatness on display. So uh, when the blues win the State of Origin Shield, excellence and greatness is on display, all right? It never happens, yeah. The one who loses has shame. Anyway, it's coming up. Today, we're going to look at a section out of John's Gospel, out of John chapter 12. It's actually all about glory. And uh, I'm not going to go into it too much now, but you just need to know that we're down. We are into glory. 
as people and our glory happens all around us and we glorify things when uh, whatever side wins the state of origin there's a big cheer and there's adulation of fans and that's glorifying and excellent great and some splendor filled display Um, glory is much more commonplace than what we think but it's 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 a term that is a little bit hard to get your head around sometimes but that is going to get you started so let's have a look at John chapter 12, because we're going to get more of a picture of it uh, from John 12. So uh, if you've got Bibles there with you, open up to John 12. We're going to read from verse 20 to 36 in the uh, NIV today. John 12, 20 to 36. John 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Good request. Notice that they're not Jews, they're Greeks. So the word about Jesus is getting out beyond just the Jews. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This looks like a classic dislocation between something that someone else is talking about and what Jesus is talking about. But it's actually a bit of a turning point where Jesus is going, no, it's actually the time is now to actually start walking toward the cross. Um, And it's not to go and have an interview, which is really what the idea is that the Greeks wanted to do, uh, have an interview uh, with the Greeks where they would come and ask him who he was. Verse 24, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life whoever serves me must follow me and where I am my servant also will be my father will honor the one who serves me now my soul is troubled and what shall I say father save me from this hour no it was for this very reason I came to this hour father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it and will glorify it again The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now, a voice from heaven came. This is interesting for you to note. When Jesus was baptized in the transfiguration, when he went up the hill, and this time. So the beginning, kind of the middle, and the end of Jesus' ministry. Uh, verse 31 now is the time for judgment on this world now the prince of this world will be driven out and when i and i when i'm lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die the crowd spoke up we've heard from the lord that the messiah will remain forever so how can you say the son of man must be lifted up who is this son of man jesus told them you are going to have the light just a little while longer walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Here's where I want to start today. I want to start with the reality that what we've got with uh, what Jesus is talking about here is an inglorious defining moment. And you just need to know that this passage and what Jesus is saying about glory is jarring to us. It's very different to the way that we actually think about it. And if you've been in the church for a while, you kind of go, yeah, yeah, no, I'm across all this. But it's actually very, very jarring. It runs counter to the way that you think about 
glory. I want to just show you by looking at the uh, bits in the text where glory shows up. You can see it's italicized and bold there. The first one there in the top left, John 12, 23 to 24, the glory is connected to a grain of wheat dying, going into the ground and dying. The second one is about the hour that's coming to Jesus. Um, uh, the, the hour that he's going to be in, figuratively speaking, where he, uh, where he suffers and dies un- under the weight of, uh, of what's going to happen to him, the suffering and, and carrying the, the, the weight of the sin of the world. Uh, and it isn't that Jesus is wilting here, right? What you've actually got is you've got the true human, you've got Jesus walking to the cross, feeling the weight of it. He doesn't waver, but it is weighty. And look at the third one. The third mention of glory is, um, is the Father's response to Jesus' prayer, where Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And the Father says, I have glorified it, probably talking to, uh, speaking of the, the miraculous signs that have been done in the lead up to this, Jesus' incarnation. And the Father's saying, I'm going to glorify it again. Well, how's he going to do that? In the cross. That's what he's actually going to do. And, and look at the last one there. It doesn't actually use the word glory, but that's all about glory, about being lifted up. You know, the Greek word for when I am lifted up actually means exalted or glorified. It, it comes from Isaiah 52, 13, where it talks about the servant. Uh, Jesus is going to be high and lifted up. It means that he's going to be highly exalted. But it has a double meaning, right? And this is the bit that is, that is really, really, I think, when we look at it clearly, it, it's jarring. Jesus is going to be lifted up on a Roman cross and that's what he's talking about. In the bottom right passage there, John 12, 32 to 33. But that same cross is going to be the means of his greatest exaltation. It's going to have the greatest glory about it. So this is the jarring bit. It, it's, it's, it's glory in suffering and death. Now, we're a bit used to it, but that, that's a bit jarring, isn't it? Do you, do you find that jarring? Can you see it? Can you feel it? You know what Jesus is saying is that his best moment, his greatest moment was being executed on a Roman cross. Now, that's not what we call glory, right? Um, in our world, glory is about dominating, not being dominated. That's what glory is. I mean, if you, if you watch a, a boxing match or a UFC fight and one guy's walking out of the ring and the other guy's getting carried out on a stretcher and he's dead. There's not much glory for that guy. The glory's for the guy who gets to walk out who's the victor, right? You know, for us, glory is about pristine beauty, not marred beyond human likeness. This is Isaiah 52 verse 14, speaking of Jesus. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. That's not glory. That's not glory. Glory is a bride in a white dress 
walking down the aisle having spent all day getting prepared for it. Not being beat up and whipped until people can't even recognise you anymore. Now, even in a very simple sense, the way that we think about glory is that glory is actually about living, right? Not, not dying, you know? And, and some of you might say, well, there's war heroes that have given their lives and, and there's, there's glory sometimes in death and, and you'd be right. But the way that we think about glory... The way that we think about death, they don't go together, right? Glory is about uh, more life. And this is what Jesus kind of refers to a bit, is that we think glory is about gaining more life, not losing it. You know, think about what the marketing machine tells us all of the time. If you just buy this thing, you'll have more life. And Kurt was kind of talking about that last week, right? Um, get more, more life, more glory. If you can be in a flashy car that costs a lot of money, you will be one of the glorious ones driving around town. And, you know, um, here's the last thing I think is typical of the way that we think about glory. Uh, glory is about loving life, not hating it, isn't it? This is the byline for BCF. That's not living, Barry, right? What's living is going and spending a lot of money at BCF and then sitting on the side of a dam or a, bre- or a beach and, and either watching your, your boat go around with all the gear or having all the camping gear in the, in the caravan park or the campsite, wherever you are. It, it, glory doesn't come from turning your back on what you want. Glory comes from getting what you want. Now, I think we are all down for glory, right? We all like glory and I think the reason why we all like glory is because we were made for glory, right? We were made to behold God, to see God Um, and God does promise to share his glory with us but um, I I want you to look at this picture. This is the way Jesus... This is the pathway Jesus takes for glory. This this is glorification for Jesus. No one's using that to sell more lures at BCF. Right? That's what he's saying in this passage. And you think about it and not meaning to make you feel bad about it, but if you think about it for yourself and you just go, what would you call your best moment in your life? What was your best moment? Well, you got it right. The most excellent moment. Now, I, I think about that. It doesn't look like that. And some of you might be wondering, what is, Peter, I'm still hooked on... What does inglorious mean anyway? Well, I'll tell you what inglorious means because that's his point, an inglorious defining moment. Uh, shame and loss of honour. Inglorious is basically not glory. <laughs> and do you know, pretty much no one saw it coming with Jesus. 
And uh, I, I, look, I just want to encourage you, um, if we're going to get a picture of what's going on in this passage, you've got to stare at that and feel the whiplash a bit. Because Jesus is running in the exact opposite direction to what we typically run. That is not the pristine beauty of a coastline with ochre rocks and turquoise waters, is it? It's like, yeah, we'll put that up on the bathroom mirror and we'll just look at that every day. That's not the arrival of a, of a bride dressed in white walking down the aisle, is it? It's the God-man beaten, whipped, crucified and dead. And, and the, the biblical writers can see the jarring nature of this. We see this in uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 to 23. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Galatians 3.13, cursed is everyone who has hung on a pole. It's not that impressive at one level. Uh, it, it doesn't rate with what we think is glorious. It, it kind of connects more with what we think, with what the opposite of glory is, and that's shame, right? Um, naked. Uh, that... that it's a word that's used throughout the scriptures to talk about shame, a public display, people walking past, he's crucified in a public place, people shouting insults, a sign above uh, his head that has the nature of his crime on it, a slow, painful death. And Jesus is saying in this section in John chapter 12, this is my big moment. This is the biggest moment. I want to uh, just encourage you to stop for a moment. I want you to think about this. Think about all of the times in your life where you struggle to see God for who he is. Maybe the times where you doubt either his existence or his goodness. Maybe you've read sections in scripture that just make your head spin. Times where he seems harsh or he seems to use his sovereignty for his own ends. Some of you maybe get hooked up on the battles in the Old Testament, the conquest of the, the promised land. Uh, sometimes he gives answers to his servants through the scriptures that are profoundly unsatisfactory to you. Um, perhaps even predestination and election mess with your head. Maybe it's not stuff that's in the Bible. Maybe it's the times in your life where you or someone that you know has gone through pain and struggle Maybe it's health. Maybe other people have done things to you. Uh, God was there and he could have done something to stop it, but he didn't do anything about it. And so you're clouded and you can't see him and, and you kind of go, I don't really know who he is anymore. Maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe there's some kind of veil over your eyes and you're in a mist and you can't see him. Well, what Jesus would say to you today, specifically out of John chapter 12, is that if you really want to know him, then this is where you look. That's where you look. 
You know, the, the Greeks wanted an interview with him. That's the idea behind uh, the original language is they wanted to actually have a chat with Jesus about who he is. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to do this. And, and in some ways, it's an answer to the Greeks. You want to know who I am? Look at me hanging from a cross. This captures the heart of Jesus better than anything else in Scripture. You see that? This, I mean, you might like lots of things about Jesus. We like him being a good shepherd. And, and, and there's lots of things that the Bible says that he is. But this is Jesus at his best. Isn't it? This is him at his best. And some of you go, oh, no, I'm not so sure about that. Well, you have to look through the visual to... Uh, to see what's happening underneath. And you know if you do that, that you'll realise that he truly is excellent. He, he truly is full of splendour. He is beautiful. He is great. He is glorious, I want to show you. Here's where it starts. <laughs> A beautiful storyline. You know, I'm watching the NBA playoffs at the moment and uh, I'm a Warriors fan, so you can forgive me later. Um, but there's this ad that keeps coming on because it's ESPN that um, uh, most of the time is, is doing the broadcast and there's this ad that comes on and it talks, uh, it's all these clips of these basketball players doing these amazing things and then it has this byline at the end of it and, it, and the byline is it's a beautiful time for basketball. This is, um, this is one of the shots from it. That's Jar Morant from the, uh, the Grizzlies. And, you know, one of the things it's doing is it's saying that beauty is not just feminine, you know. Um, and it's not. We actually use the word beautiful to describe lots of things. If you're working on your car and you get it running right, you, you might even say, well, that sounds beautiful, <laughs> especially if it wasn't running right before that. Um, or if something works well, you just go, well, that is, that is beautiful. Or, or you might be standing in front of an amazing view and you go, that view is beautiful and ESPN at the moment are saying that basketball is beautiful (laughs) you know excellence and beauty intertwine with one another not just in the way that we think about it but they're actually intertwined with each other in 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 the bible and I want to ask you a question is there a is there a more beautiful storyline than the storyline of scripture is it I mean really God makes everything perfect. Humanity turns from him and they sin and they wreck everything. Um, they get stuck and they can't get out. And there's all these people that come along to try and help them a little bit and they kind of give them a leg up a little bit, but they don't, they're not ever able to actually get people fully out of the situation that they actually find themselves in. They just aren't up to the task. And so God's like, I'm going to do something about this. And he doesn't just do it remotely like some kind of drone operator, he takes on human flesh and he gives his life for the traitors. And when he comes back to life after his own death on the cross, life explodes like fireworks, doesn't it? All over the place. That's what you actually see. And this storyline has been the plot line that's used for countless movies and plays, right? That, that someone gets in a fix and someone comes in and they're able to help and to rescue. But in our case, it isn't just another human, it's the perfect one. 
the one who is life itself comes. And it blows our mind that his, the assault of him and the execution of him was always the plan. Jesus' death on the cross was beautiful, even though it was brutal. Amen? Here's the second one. We see this in John chapter 12. His death is a very fruitful death. John 12, 24. Uh, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, some of you might say to me at this point, Peter, it's not that uncommon. We know stories of people who have died to rescue other people. That's, that's, we know about those. And, and you go, I've been to the movies, right? And I've seen these stories in the movies. And, and, and movies actually tell the stories often of people in real life who have given their lives uh, to save other people. And many of these stories that the movies tell about giving your life to save people are war stories, right? And, and there are some amazing war stories, aren't there, of self-sacrifice and courage. You go down to the, the, uh, the National War Memorial in Canberra. You can go through the Hall of Valour um, where uh, the Victoria Cross recipients are honoured for their courage, for their self-sacrifice. Um, and, and, and there's, I mean, you get in there. I get in there and it's like, there's a sense of glory in this place. For what people did. But without any disrespect to war veterans and those who have given their lives, I want to say this. No one's sacrifice has ever been as great or as fruitful as Jesus's. You go to Philippians chapter 2 and you know that Jesus was God himself and he made himself nothing. No one has ever taken that step except for Christ. What riches did he, uh, did he shun, did he turn away from to become human and die on a, on a cross? That's a massive, massive step down. No one's ever taken a step that large. And the other part there is um, no one's ever been as fruitful of Jesus in their self-sacrifice, as great as they are. <laughs> you know, it's exceedingly rare for one person to do some kind of act of self-sacrifice which brings life to more than a limited number of people. It's just how it is. It's 10, maybe 20, maybe 100, perhaps 1,000 in extremely rare circumstances. You know, the very fact that we look at people who sacrifice their lives for other people actually points to the fabric of reality that God's a God who gives his life for people. You know, and all these mini kind of manifestations of God giving his life for us where people give their life for others, they are glorious, excellent and beautiful. But none of them come close to the life Jesus brings by his own death and self-sacrifice. They're just but a shadow. How? Well reported that there's two billion Christians on the face of the planet at the moment. It's a lot of life, isn't it? And, and we're not even talking about every Christian that's come before us. And, and if Jesus doesn't come back, everyone who's going to come after us. Uh, you, you have to say, you have to say, 
that the death of Christ, the self-sacrifice of Christ, Christ, it was unparalleled and excellent. Amen? It is, it is excellent. We, we bow before him and we say that is outstanding in the true sense of the word. There is no one close to you, Jesus. You, you are outstanding. It's the third thing we see. He's a gritty saviour. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. I know it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This one's for the blokes. It's for everyone, but this one's for the blokes, right? Because in the church, it can be easy to think of Jesus as weak and mild. He's a bit soft, you know. You've got the turn the other cheek thing. You know, he gets killed on a cross. He gets overpowered by people more powerful than him and all starts to sound a bit ordinary. Well, here's a text of scripture that just won't let you go there. The section shows us what Jesus is like. He feels the weight of what he's about to do and who wouldn't, right? He walks toward copying a good beating. Shame, crucifixion, the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. And he walks with determination toward it. That's what you're seeing here. Not like a machine, but like a person. Right? That's, that's what you're seeing in that text up there. He is tough, isn't he? Like that's next level. Absolutely next level. Every now and then you hear um, a story somewhere in the world where there's some person who's on death row. Uh, you might remember back to the Bali Nine, um, other kind of drug smugglers, and you know, it becomes this, there's this fascination, right, with the night before. It's like, what's their last meal going to be? Um, the press kind of really gets involved in it. I, I find it a little bit intriguing. Uh, but imagine a guy who's innocent on death row saying, this is what I came for. And you would say, you are a boss. <laughs> you are a man. Young man, listen to me. He is a man. He does not shy away. He feels the weight of it. And he walks strongly and powerfully toward his own execution. That's some steel and metal that you don't find anywhere else. He's glorious, he's excellent, he's great. He's also a powerful judge. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Uh, the world's going to condemn itself by the way it treats the sun. He is that significant of a figure. Some will believe, but many won't. He's the dividing line between those who are gods and those who are under God's judgment. And it's strange, right, because he's hanging from this cross. He's going to this cross to rescue people, but it actually becomes a judging dividing line. You know, Jesus' death is a revelation of sin and its seriousness. And this one, <laughs> this is in John 12 too, he's an undisputed champion. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Stop for a moment and think about what's going on in the world. Now, scripture says really clearly that your battle is not just against flesh and blood. You know, there's, there's a devil, 
a fallen angel and he's taken a third of the angels with him. That's what it seems from scripture. And he's been at work steering things and guiding things and encouraging things along ever since humanity fell in the garden. There is more going on in your family, in your workplace, in Toowoomba, in Australia, in the world than meets the eye. And who knows that the evil in the world is very powerful? Has anyone ever noticed that? It is very powerful. It's very strong. It conquers good, it destroys good, and it gets on top of you. I can ask for a show of hands, but we could have one, right? Who's in the middle of a place where evil's getting on top of you? Well, the one who is the cause of all this mess gets driven out by Jesus. Jesus removes the, the claim that the devil has on people because the devil's an accuser. Um, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus kills death, which is one of the devil's main kind of tools. And the moment that the devil thinks is this great win on the cross is this great loss. And folks, it may feel strong with evil around the place, um, but we're actually in the mopping up phase. (laughs) All right? It's just the renegade little random bands of fallen angels and the devil just messing with stuff, but it's just a clean-up process. That's, that's where we are. Why? Because Jesus is an undisputed champion and what he does on the cross is glorious, isn't it? And the last one here, a centripetal force. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. I mentioned this play on meaning before. You know, lifted up on the cross and exalted, Jesus is saying, are the same thing. It's the same thing. They're happening at the same time. The glory is in the shame, despising the shame. And you know what the effect is? There's a centripetal effect. Most of you would know about centrifugal. Centrifugal forces are forces that act away from the center. So if you've got a bucket of water and filled it right up, you could swing it like that and the water wouldn't come out because the force is acting away from the centre. But Jesus does something where the forces actually get drawn toward the centre. You see that? When Jesus dies on the cross, he's going to draw all men to himself. And I don't think he's talking here about all people are going to be saved. I think he's talking about all nationalities. I mean, we started with the Greeks, right? Jesus knows that not everyone is going to come to him. He knows that there's some who will accept him and some who won't. But in this act of Jesus, the gates get thrown open to everyone, don't they? To us. He draws all people to himself and we just kind of get sucked into it. (laughs) And, And if you are a Christian today, you have tasted of this haven't you you've tasted of his drawing you know he could come like a military general a brutal military general that cracks down on rebellion and force you to do something but but what's the word that jesus uses here draw that's amazing (laughs) i read jeremiah 31 3 this morning um, but Jeremiah um, retells what God had said to his people he, and, and he uses the same word I will draw you with loving kindness 
Do you remember when you felt that, when, when you looked at who Jesus was and his death on the cross and you just went, I'll just have to be with him. So I've got to get there. It's kind of weird, you know, if you think back to the picture that I had up on the screen there before, that an act like this would be drawing people to him, but that's exactly what it does. You know, Jesus' power on the cross to draw people to himself is glorious, isn't it? It's absolutely glorious. It's excellent. It's great. And, you know, if you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus and you feel like you're getting pulled toward him, that's how it works. And you just need to become a Christian, give your life to Jesus, right? Because that's what Jesus is talking about. It's not coercion. The church is not about control coercion and, and just hitting people up with fear and making them do the right things. It's about lifting Jesus up and letting him draw them. We baptised 15 people on Easter Sunday. No one was compelled to get baptised. They all said, I want to make a public statement about who my allegiance is with. Why? Because he died for them and he drew them to himself. It's awesome. But here's the, um, here's the kicker and here's where I want to finish. Um, you could be forgiven at this point reading the passage for thinking okay well Jesus is doing all this fancy stuff like what are what are we supposed to do right but here's the cool thing about Jesus is Jesus always gives you a way to get in on what he's doing <laughs> have you ever noticed that it's like he's yeah he's doing all this stuff and then you'll just throw a couple of little things in there and just go hey you can get in on what I'm doing right and I think you actually see that in this passage so I just want to finish this morning by looking at getting in on it well here's here's the first one um because what it is is this kind of a mini version of who jesus is so there's stuff that jesus does that only jesus does right but then in this passage he's going actually you can get in on this a little bit um and you can kind of get a piece of the action here and it's like cool how, how do we do that well here's here's the first one um anyone who loves their life will lose it well anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life the pathway to life is through death. This is really straightforward, right? If you go back to the Garden of Eden and the fall of humanity, how did we get death in the world? We got death in the world by preferencing ourselves and putting us in the centre of our life. So it makes all sorts of logical sense that if you want to actually get to life, you don't preference yourself and put yourself in the centre. You put him in the centre and you put yourself out to the side, Right? You know, loving life, preferring you, centering your life upon you is a sure way to lose your life, right? And I don't mean to be beating you up about it, right? It's just a logical dynamic. That preferring yourself and putting yourself in the centre is what got us all the hell that we get to live in when it comes to evil and sin. And, And the idea here... Anyone who loves their life will lose it. The idea in the Greek word behind lose it is actually you're going to destroy your life. That's what you're going to do. All right? And so today it's like I could just say, do you want to wreck your life? (laughs) Try and save it. That's how you do it. 
And it always seems like life at the beginning. Who knows this is true, right? You can start preferring yourself in your own life and you go, oh, this really feels like life. And then all of a sudden the poison starts to kick in because the chocolate coating's worn off and all of a sudden you're in a place and it's not pretty. Because that's how death came into the world in the first place. It's just how it works. And you know something? This is not, just talk- this is not talking about discipline like I have to hate my life, it's actually talking about personal preference. Do you prefer yourself or do you prefer Jesus? It's actually a, a person swap in a sense. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, I don't think Jesus is laying down an in-your-face challenge. I think what he's doing is he's laying down a life reality. It's just how it works. I see it in my life regularly when I am determined and persuaded that the best thing for me to do is to try and grasp after life my life falls through my fingers like sand it just does you know death before life applies to Jesus in an amazing way doesn't it but then he's saying well you can get a little bit of this (laughs) you can have a little bit of this you don't get to have what I've got in terms of how much life he produces. But if you die to yourself, you can get in on it. Self-worship got us death. Dying to self and joining to Jesus gets us life. Here's the second way that we can get in on it. Serving Jesus is about being with him. You know, if you're God's servant, it's, it's not about serving him dispassionately at a distance. It's really personal. See in verse 26 there, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. You have to be personally with God, following God, um, to be where the Lord is. And so I'd ask you the question this morning. uh, What do you think he's doing around you? Huh? What's he up to? You know, we know from... John chapter 5, that the main thing about life is not actually going, this is what I want to do. It's actually asking the question, what's God doing? Because if God is doing something and I get to see what it is, it's probably the invitation to partner with him in whatever he's doing. What's Jesus calling you to do? And here's here's a tricky question. Um, Is he leading you to join him in something that you don't want to do? Well, you just have to stick with him. (laughs) That's what you have to do. You just have to stick with him. And I'm just telling you, your life may not end up being the kind of life that you've envisaged, um, but it's always going to be the best one. You just stick with Jesus and he'll lead you to whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. He'll be with you. Here's the last one. This is, this is huge. Uh, honour is a byproduct. You know, we all want to be honoured, right? No one wants someone to just pour shame out upon us. But I'll tell you something about honour, is you don't get honour by chasing after honour. <laughs> you don't get it. I mean, a few years ago, everyone was talking about happiness all the time, and I was going... This is stupid. Like you've got all these happiness experts coming out and saying this is how you get happiness. And so you don't get happiness by chasing after happiness. 
You get happiness by chasing after something else. You don't get honour by chasing after honour. You get honour by doing something else. It's a byproduct. How do you know this? Because it's exactly how Jesus works, right? Jesus gets honour on the cross, not by chasing after honour. He gets honour on the cross because he does his Father's will. And the honour comes as a result of doing his Father's will. You get honour when you seek Jesus and you're with Jesus and you do stuff with Jesus. Jesus shares his glory with you. That's what he does. It's just how it works. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Let's pray. Jesus, we, um, we often say in the church um, and as Christians that there's no one like you, but um, like there isn't. Um, we always knew that, but um, today... We've seen more in John chapter 12, more, more reasons why that's so true. And it's amazing to me um, that even in the midst of you blazing this trail, which no human has ever gone close to, just give us some ways that we can get in on it with you. And um, we just just thank you for uh, helping us to see reality well. Thanks for teaching us, telling us that when you try to save your life, you lose it. Thanks for teaching us that it's really important for us to be near you, to be with you. Thanks for sharing your glory with us and teaching us that it it's a byproduct and we just need to see you more clearly want to know you we've had Easter but the story is never old the story of your suffering and your death and um, we don't want to just see the cross in inverted commas we want to I see you, want to know you uh, for who you truly are. Thank you for everything that, it, that that says about who you are to everyone in every single situation in this place this morning. Amen.